So this morning we are in day two of our walk through one chapter in John's story about Jesus, John chapter 6. We're going to look at, at verses 25 through 35, and then we're going to look at verse 51 as well. Uh, so if you, it'll be on the screen, maybe on the screen in front of you, if you've, or if you've got an actual book with pages, that still works too. So um, yeah, so before we read, let's pray together. That we just take a moment to, uh, to be still. Uh, to be silent. And recognizing that in the beginning when all was silent, uh, you spoke. You spoke a word and the universe was born. We know that your voice is powerful. We know that your voice is generative. It creates things. It makes things new. And so we pray that you would speak again this morning here in this room, in this space. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what you do. Open our hearts and our minds so that we can hear a word from you and be changed and be transformed so that we can walk out these doors and, and be new, be different, be more like Jesus. Amen. So John 6, starting at verse 25. So before this, Jesus uh, found there's a crowd following because of the miraculous signs that he was doing for performing on the sick, right? So there's whole bunch of people, 10, 12, 15,000 people, they found themselves in a place where they didn't have enough to eat, and all that was there was a little boy's sack lunch, so five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus multiplied it and gave it to the people, and everybody ate, and all were filled, and then they were like, we got to make this guy king, because whoa, and then the story goes on. So Jesus goes to the other side of the lake. And then when the people, so the people were still looking for him, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the, work, the works God requires? What do we need to do? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. Trust in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? Wait, weren't you there? up on the hill when Jesus was like, hey, have some food. What miraculous sign? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It isn't Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and 
and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then down to verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We'll go that far. What? I want to begin with a, with a story uh, told by a guy named Len Sweet, Leonard Sweet, who's author, has written all kinds of books. Um, he's got a podcast. Uh, he, he's a professor and all-around really great guy, right? So he tells this story. <clears throat> There's this man uh, who goes to the salon and sits down ready to have his hair cut by a stylist who's really making a name for herself cutting hair. Like she's, ga- she's gaining this reputation for, of being a sort of a wizard or sorcerer with her scissors. Uh, so she's really good at what she does. Uh, but it, the guy who sits down in the chair figures out something interesting, notices something interesting uh, as he's making small talk with this stylist. She really doesn't care about what she's doing. She's really not that into it, even though she's absolutely amazing. She takes no pride in her work. All she could talk about was, get this, getting a helicopter in her backyard. That's all she could talk about. Her major ambition in life was to get wealthy so that she could get a helicopter in her backyard and she would do anything to get there, right? Her symbol of getting wealthy was this. If I just have a helicopter in my backyard, I will know that I've made it, right? Yeah, if you got a pad and you got a helicopter in your backyard, you've got everything you need and then some, right? So the man says, how do you plan on getting wealthy? I mean, you can make a really decent living being a stylist and all that kind of stuff, but you're probably not going get, to get wealthy. And she says, I know I'm just biding my time here, but I really want that helicopter in my backyard. So here's what I'm doing. I'm just trying things out. I'm trying out little companies and eventually one after another, and eventually one of them is going to take off and it's going to make me rich. And he says, well, what are you working on now? And she says, a greeting card company. And he kind of has to stifle a laugh. And he says to her, you're going to compete with Hallmark? And she says, yeah. And so then he bites his tongue for a little while. And then he gains enough courage to sort of encourage her, but at the same time challenge her. And he says, you know, there hasn't been a study in the history of the whole world that says wealth can make you happy. She didn't care. She just wanted this helicopter in her backyard. So the man says, what about your relationships? What about people in your life? And she says, no, all of those have gone bad. Besides, I don't need anybody anyway. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to have a helicopter in my backyard one day. You can't tell me I can't. I'm going to make this happen. Isn't it interesting? The things that we yearn for, long for. Isn't it interesting the things that we desire in this world? I mean, here's someone who's sort of, she sacrificed everything. She's really good at styling and cutting hair. She sacrificed joy in her job. 
She's sacrificed joy of the people around her. She's sacrificed the joy of connection. She has no family, nothing, because she wanted a helicopter in her backyard. And the only difference between her and most other people is she's named the problem. She's just upfront about it, and she has a symbol for it, a helicopter in her backyard. She sacrificed everything for that. Isn't it interesting? The things that we desire, we yearn for, long for. Do you have a helicopter in your backyard? What's your helicopter? Okay, back to the Jesus story. The day before, Jesus had done something that the crowds had never seen before. Like it was totally blew their minds. They're following Jesus, John tells us at the beginning of John chapter 6, that the people were following Jesus. The great crowd was following him because of the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. That little phrase, miraculous signs, continues to get repeated. So we have to figure out, there's something here about the miraculous signs. What's up with the miraculous signs? They're following him because of the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. So in their frenzied following, they're looking for Jesus they get, on this pl- they get to this place, there's this great crowd, and not a single one of them remembered one of the basic things of life, food, right? It was getting late, and the only thing available was a little boy's sack lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish, right? So in front of like 10, 12, 15,000 people, Jesus takes the bread, takes the fish, multiplies them, and he feeds the whole crowd, Everyone eats, everyone is full, no one can believe it, and there are even leftovers, 12 basketfuls of bread. And then Jesus goes on the run because they want to force him to be king, right? But he doesn't get far, he just gets to the other side of the lake. And when the people realize where he is, they hop in their boats, they go to the other side of the lake to Capernaum to find him. Now, I'm guessing these, what kind of people were these people? I'm guessing these were good people. I'm guessing these people were a lot like you and a lot like me, right? They want to be satisfied. They want to live full lives. They want their basic needs met. And afraid of not having enough, they'll do anything to get their needs met. So they're in search mode, right? Because Jesus can get them what they want, more of this miracle bread. And when they find him, they're like, they pretend like they didn't know he was going to be there. They're like, hey, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus says the most stunning thing. He says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, pointing to the reality that God is here among you in the flesh, staring you in the face, eyeball to eyeball. So you're looking for me not because you saw a miraculous sign pointing to the reality that God was right here standing with you face to face. His presence is right here in front of you. You're not looking at me because of that. You're looking for me because of the fact that you ate your bread and you had your fill. You got what you wanted. Do not work for food that spoils, he says, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Here's the deal. I think this is why Jesus doesn't run around performing miraculous signs all the time. 
Like we look at what we see in the Bible, and we're like, oh my goodness, if we could just have some of that, it would be so much better, be so much easier to believe. But I think this is why Jesus doesn't run around performing miraculous signs all the time. Because we human beings get all, get all confused and we start thinking that the miraculous sign is the point. Right? We think that getting what we want is the point. But here's the thing. Jesus knows that any loaves he multiplies will get eaten and the people will have their fill. They'll go to sleep and wake up the next morning and be hungry again. Jesus knows that any, any water he turns into wine will be consumed, and what are people going to want? They're just going to want more wine. Jesus knows that any paralytic he heals is eventually going to get old and not be able to move very well again. The miraculous sign, friends, isn't the point. The point, the point is the person behind the sign. So Jesus says, don't work for, yearn for, desire after the bread that spoils, the stuff that's here today and gone tomorrow. Work for, yearn for, desire after the bread I will give you. And then he goes further. He says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never be hungry. You want to be filled? You want to be fully satisfied? not just for today, but forever, then cultivate a hunger for me, he says. I am bread. He says, eat me. Consume me. We'll get more into that in the weeks to come. Feast on me. Take me into yourself, into your life, like you devour a wonderfully great meal. Then, with or without miraculous signs, you will be full. Trouble is, we human beings aren't really good at doing that. We're not really good at, at, at consuming things that are actually good for us. In fact, many of us have really bad habits when it comes to what we consume, what we eat. Renee and I right now, I've talked about it before, but we're, we're on day seven of this thing called Whole30. Have any of you heard of Whole30? If you haven't, look it up. So we're doing this thing called Whole30, and essentially the people... So for 30 days, you, you decide to eat differently, right? And we've experienced it as something that's really hard, but it's really good for you. It makes you feel really good, right? It gets you to a place where you're like, yeah. So anyway... Essentially, the people who created Whole30 uh, say something like this. I'm not to describe the whole program to you, but here's in a nutshell. Um, don't eat the stuff that's easy. Don't eat the stuff that's convenient, because most often that can be the stuff that's, that's not very good for you. So there are rules. Don't eat any dairy. Like, that's terrible for me. I love cheese. Like, cheese is the best food in the whole world. You can put it on anything, almost, except for dessert. But then you get cheesecake, which is dessert. Anyway, no cheese. Can't have dairy. Can't have any grains, which means there's no bread. What? Bread? You eat bread with every meal. Nope, you can't eat bread. Can't eat processed foods. You can't eat, eat any meat that has anything added to it. Can't have any legumes. You can't have any beans. You can't have any rice. And here's the worst thing. You can't have sugar for 30 days. 
Try it. I dare you. It's hard and nearly impossible. You go to the grocery store and you look at labels. Guess what? Sugar is everywhere. Literally everywhere. Right? No alcohol. 30 days. Take a break. Oh my goodness. Wow. So they say, don't eat that stuff. Instead, eat stuff that isn't processed, which basically means eat fresh meat, eat fresh vegetables. You can eat some fruit, but don't overdo the fruit because it tastes sweet and it might make you crave sugar. So be careful because you might grab that Snickers later if you eat an apple, right? So they're saying, don't eat this stuff. Instead, eat the stuff that's really really good for you, right? I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, work for, yearn for, desire after me. Eat me. Don't eat that other stuff. Cultivate a hunger for me, not the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. But we're just not that good at it, are we? the things that we yearn for, things that we long for, the things that we desire. What is the one thing that we desire almost more than anything? Typically, it's money, right? We think to ourselves, if I could just make a little more money, or if we just had a little more money, we pour all kinds of energy into making and getting more money. If we could just be a little bit more profitable. You know, there's a reason we've nicknamed money dough, Think about that. There's a reason we've nicknamed moneymakers breadwinners. Think about that, right? Because we think if we have all the money in the world, we'll be full. Our lives will be satisfied. How many decisions do we make based on money? That kind of bread instead of the bread of life. It's not a matter of what sustains us. It's a matter of who sustains us, the bread of life. This book doesn't say that in, in money, the universe is held together, although sometimes we wonder. This book says, in Christ, all things are held together, and yet we hunger after, feast on, consume the bread we win more than the bread of life. Which one are we feasting on most of the time? Which one Which one controls the decisions that we make? Which one do we believe sustains us? Which one demands most of our attention? Of course, money isn't the only thing. Like, that's the easy one. Let's start with the easy one. That's not the only thing that we consume, hoping that one day we'll be filled or fulfilled. There are all kinds of things that we consume that give us a feeling of a a full and stuffed and satisfied life. Consuming Jesus just doesn't seem to taste as good as some of the other things that we consume or feast on in order to feel satisfied. Let me just give you some quick examples. So Jesus feeds us a line. He feeds us a way of life. He feeds us a different way to walk through this world. And he says this. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, we don't eat that. We don't like that. And here's our excuse for not consuming that and letting it become a part of us. We just don't think it tastes good, right? So we'd rather rather 
taste hate for our enemies and hide it in our hearts and pray that, that, that sort of God would take our enemies out or at least like make something bad happen to them. Like then when we see our enemies suffer, it like gives us this sense of, oh, that feels so good, doesn't it? That we'd rather, we'd rather eat that. Jesus feeds us another line, love your neighbor as yourself. And then we come up with excuses for not consuming that one either. A lot of times it's because we just don't have time. It's too hard to, to make space in our own lives to love our neighbors because we're too busy building our own little worlds. We're too busy focused on ourselves. It takes too much work to prepare. We don't have much time for that. We just have, besides gossiping about our neighbors and talking about them behind our back, that's way more satisfying. Oh, that feels so much better. Right? Jesus feeds us another line. He says, when someone strikes you on one cheek, give them the other to strike as well. I don't know about you, but that sounds about as appealing as eating a bowl full of shards of glass, right? (laughs) Wait, when someone strikes you, attacks you, give them the other cheek as well. Well, that's just too hard, right? It's much easier to take revenge. Revenge just, oh, that just feels better. Like getting on Facebook and ranting about those idiots on the other side Oh, that's much easier, and that feels much, much better. Let's just take them down a peg, and oh, it makes me feel so good about myself. Like, we'd rather live in an eye-for-an-eye world. Like, that's what I call satisfying. Right? And in response to all our excuses, Jesus stands in front of us in the flesh, looking at us eyeball to eyeball, and he's like, don't consume all that stuff. Don't eat that. Feast on me. I am the bread of life. If anyone, if anyone eats of this bread, they will never go hungry. If we consume Jesus and all that he taught us about how to live, if we consume this bread, Jesus says, we'll be healthy people. So we'll live abundant lives. We'll live lives that that never end. So the question is, what are you eating? What are you trying to satisfy your life with? Temporary things that are here today, gone tomorrow, or the bread of life? The one who was and is and is to come. We have a table over here. It's got a a bowl for baptism, and it's got a plate and three cups for communion. And we haven't been able to to share communion together for a long time because it feels like, how do we do that safely? right? And so we're sort of talking about it as, as leaders, trying to figure out how do we do this. If you've got any ideas, I would love to hear them. How do we do it safely? But realize that I've really, really missed that while we're pandemicking. I've really, really missed that. Because it's a powerful practice that we share. 
Let's think for a moment. We take bread and we dip it in a cup and we consume it. Let's think for a moment about the, the mechanics of eating, just for a second. When you take something and you put it in your mouth and you chew it up and you swallow it and you digest it, what's happening to that thing? It's, it's dying. It's dying, whether it be a, a once living, breathing animal made into a nice, juicy steak, or a once living stalk of wheat made into a loaf of bread, or a or once living grape on the end of a living vine. When you eat it, it's dying. It's dying so that you might live. Jesus says, I'm bread. He says, eat me. Jesus says, consume me. Feast on me. In a sense, what he's saying is, I would rather die and you be filled with me, the living presence of God, than for you to be filled with all the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. I would rather die and have you be filled with me than for you to be filled with things that might ultimately destroy you. I would rather die so that you might have life and have it abundantly, which of course is exactly what he did. Friends, when we, when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, it's a, it's a sign pointing to a greater reality that Christ died so that we might live forever. But it's also bigger than that. It's also more expansive than that. It's a sign pointing to another great reality that Christ died on the cross so that we might know how to live now on the cross, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. While he's dying, he's showing us how to live lives marked by self-giving, self-sacrificing love. It's a sign pointing to reality that Christ died so that we might have life in the here and now. Look, we hunger after lots of things, but all of those things that we hunger after, I think, point to a deeper reality that what we're really hungry for, that what we're really hungry for is to love and be loved by God. So when we take the bread of life into ourselves, when we cultivate a deep personal relationship with the one through whom we were made, our lives just become something greater. We're changed, transformed, and we look more like him. So what are you eating? What are you feasting on? What are you taking into yourself on a consistent basis? Let's pray.